I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably be lost for words. to another edition of the Lost Words DFS show. I'm joined as ever by Matt Vincenzi. Matt, hello. Hey Tom, how's it going? Yeah, really good. We had a, another decent week last week. Um, I think probably our, our best part or the best element of our show was probably the fades. I think you were pretty on the money with those and uh, yeah, I'll let you recap those. Yeah, so I remember, you know, saying to fade Connors, Gooch and um, Tringal just because they were overpriced and kind of just the popularity is exceeding the results and uh, i think going forward like i said beginning of the year i think our first show that i was going to fade gooch all year long and it started out really well for me and i think there's going to be a couple guys like that this week where we can kind of take a similar approach and overall went pretty well like i cashed in most of my lineups and i it was probably the best week i've had um earlier in the season and now i'm excited to get to some uh, real events yeah i mean like last week was kind of a i don't want to say a crapshoot because i think there was a lot of people that that were on the long shots that were up at the top of the board. I saw quite a few Hudson Swafford tickets. Tom Hoagie was a popular pick in the uh, the community. So there were long shots with reasoning, right? But it was um, it was just one of those types of events that you just take your chances down the bottom of the, the board. I thought that, that Seamus Power was going to do me uh, a turn again, and he was horrible. I think it was five over through six on Sunday. So uh, the less said about Seamus Power, the better. But consistency again there from him uh, until that final round. But um, I think... This is a completely different prospect, right, Matt? I think that there, there couldn't be probably two stark contrasting events, uh, one after the other in the American Express and the Farmers Insurance Open, where we've got a ton of course history, um, you know, some very, I would say, strong trends. I'd say they're, they're quite important trends uh, if you buy into those sort of things. And uh, I think the skill set of the golfer required here generally tends to be the same most years. Yeah, totally agree with you, and I'm actually excited to hear what you have to say about the trends because you, you know you're great with that. And um, like you said, these last week and this week, the same type of guys seem to play these courses well year after year. I actually had my best ever DraftKings week at, at this event when Leishman won. Um, that's another story for another day. It actually ended pretty horribly, <laughs> but um, but I, I feel very comfortable at this place. Yeah, I mean, let, let's just go straight into some of those trends that I talked about. So since 1983, no player has shot over par on a north course and won. Um, so first of all, like, I think rightly the focus is on the south course. Um, it's where we're going to have three rounds this week. It's the tougher of the two courses. But if you can't shoot low at the north course on the Thursday or Friday... Oh, Wednesday or Thursday, should I say this week? Wednesday start, just to remind everybody. Um, then, you know, you're going to be in for a tough week, right? You might, you, you know, there could be someone that finishes 20th just shooting, you know, level par under par all week. But to really start getting into the upper echelons of the leaderboard, you do need to start fast on the north course. So that was one thing. Um, John Rahm was the first player to win on his course debut since the inaugural staging in 1968. Uh, not many people are going to copy what John Rahm does, so I would take that in mind when you're looking at the rookies. Um, John Rahm is also the first player since J. Don Blake in 1991 to win his first PGA Tour title at this event. Uh, so previous winning form is generally a prerequisite to winners. I'd say there's people that play well here on their first starts, but definitely winners. Uh, 11 of the past 13 winners are posted the top 10 at Torrey Pines before winning here. Uh, Rahm was the most recent exception, and Scott Stallings was the other in 2014. He had a couple of missed cuts before winning here. So 
generally speaking, it all kind of revolves around experience, right? And I think the the one that kind of sticks out to me is the North Course. Like everything you hear this week will be focused on how well a player can perform at the South Course. Did he do well at the US Open? Can he cope with the tough conditions? Shoot a low score on the first day, etc. But you have to take advantage of that easier course, which. By the way, the gap is kind of narrowing between the two courses, but you still need to shoot that kind of 66-65 on that course to have a chance of winning. Yeah, I, that's something I kind of didn't even think of. I, I, I'm one of those people who are looking mostly at the south course, and um, it, which does make sense, but you're completely right. You have to start well in the north course. You have to score well. It's you know three, 400 yards shorter, um, and guys who, who win tend to take advantage of it uh, every single year. So you know, one thing I did want to ask you about was there was that long trend of people who starting in the on the north never won, and then you had three in a row where that was the opposite. What do you think about that? Yeah, it did, it did completely flip on its head, didn't it? You had to go, you had to go south, north, and then two souths. But yeah, like you say, the last three winners have, have started on the north, and I think that now kind of makes it irrelevant. I think that's enough to say that it doesn't matter where you start. I think that that's probably come since the renovation by Tom Weisskopf in 2016 on the north course. I think just that little bit of it toughening up. I think there was one year where they were very, very close uh, between the two in terms of stroke average, like less than a point in it. Um, I know everyone kind of, whenever you hear content, it's, oh, you know, the North Course is a couple of shots easy in the South, and, and it can be, right? But that's not, um, you know, necessarily the case all the time. When I was, um, you know, researching the first round leader aspect, for example, uh, in 2020, both the South and North Course, the, the lowest scores were 66 um, you know, last year, 64 by Noren and Reed on the north course, 66 by Ryan Palmer and Peter Malinati on the south. So that's where your two-shot differential comes in. But 2018, Tony Finau, 65 on the north course, Ryan Palmer, Ted Porter Jr., 66. Um, you know, Adam Hadwin, 66 on the south course in 2017, Justin Rose, 65. So when you actually look at it, there's not, in terms of lowest scores, there's not much of a difference between the two. And I think that's actually really important. So, um yeah, I, I think that kind of trend. I don't know how you've looked at it, but is that something that you would you would focus on when, when it comes to first round and where they start? No, no, no. Um, I think you know if you're doing a showdown or something, but uh, in terms of outrights or total lineups, I think it's good to ignore, and that's how I like it. I mean, you don't want to be setting lineups based on who starts where. I think that kind of takes a lot of the enjoyment out of it for me. I'm glad you can just whoever the guys you like are the guys you like and plug them in your lineups. Correct. And yeah, I think I think we're still saying, right, that to, to stack the North course if it is showdown on, on, on Wednesday, Thursday. But um, I wouldn't necessarily rule out someone posting a decent score on, on the South course. I think it can be done. Um, we've certainly seen it over the last three, well, what was it, last five years in a row, we've seen 66s, so even six years going back. So, you know, 66s every year is generally available. KJ Choi shot 65 in 2013. So, generally speaking, although it is harder, I think as long as you like your guy right then then you should stick to them whatever way they go absolutely i'm with you um in terms of course correlations it it was a slightly tougher one i've got to be honest it wasn't one that i wanted to get too carried away with i think that generally speaking there's repeat form based on their course form here but the two that i did find was uh glenn abbey that used to host the, the rbc canadian open so i hosted there in 20 uh, 2008 2009 2013 and then 2015 through to 2018 um, Tiger Woods won at Glen Abbey. Where did Tiger Woods not win? So it's not really relevant. Uh, Brant Snedeker won at Glen Abbey in uh, 2013, won here twice. Jason Day won at Glen Abbey and won here twice. Jonathan Vegas, two time winner at Glen Abbey, third here in 2011. 
But it starts to get really interesting. We look at Nathan Green, who was a surprise winner at Glen Abbey in 2009, and he lost in a playoff to Tiger Woods here in 2006. Uh, and Bubba Watson also won his event in 2011, finished second at Glen Abbey. So there was enough correlation for me with that one. And then the other one was the Travellers. Um, Bubba Watson, three-time winner of the Travellers, won here in 2011. Mark Leishman's won at both. Harris English has won the Travellers, finished uh, lost in the playoff here in 2015. Uh, Kevin Strillman has won and finished second at the Travellers, finished third here. Scott Stallings won this uh, event in 2014, finished sixth at the Travellers in 2020. And then you just got a host of guys, right? JB Holmes, John Rollins, both runners up at this event and the Travellers. KJ Choi runner up at both events. Chris Riley runner up at both events. Uh, his only win came at Reno Tahoe Open, which is an opposite field event, so that shows kind of his limited success. Uh, Graham Dillette finished second at this event in 2014, had two top four finishes at the Travellers. And Bo Hostler, who I thought was really interesting, was second uh, and tenth at the Travellers in 2018 and 2021, respectively, and finished ninth in this event in 2020. And when you look back, he's had seven top tens uh, in total on the PJ Tour. So for three of them to be accounted to those two uh, courses was interesting enough for me. Um, so I thought they were worth looking at. I don't think they're strong enough to make me just want to play someone outright, but if I was using it as a a tiebreaker between a couple of players, I think they might factor in. Yeah, I read your column earlier. I thought it was great. I mean, it's very difficult to ignore all those things you just said. I mean, there's, there there has to be some correlation because of those leaderboards. Um, for me, I like to keep kind of West Coast stuff. Like the West Coast POA is all, is all very yeah. similar, this, this style of golf. So for me, I look at like Riviera. Um, I, I took a look at the uh, TPC Harding Park. I thought that might be a little bit interesting. Yeah. Longer courses, long classical, West Coast. Um, so that's kind of the link I drew. Do you think, what about Pebble? So you know, it's coastline power. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. And I guess it's just a slightly different format in terms of the program. Yeah, to- I think I think that um, that is one. And so and so is Amex a little bit. I mean, if you look at guys who kind of play well in one of these spots, they tend to stay hot for that that stretch because I think it's it's very similar. Pebble definitely similar. I think just the length of the course is a little bit different. So you get some shorter guys like you know. Berger and Spieth have, you know, right. dominated Pebble, and they've had a tough time at at, at Torrey and Riviera. So, um, yeah, I, just, I like keeping it with the West Coast because I just think it's a different different vibe for these guys. Yeah, I agree totally. Look, there is what is there six guys uh, in a ten k range and above. Uh, no great surprise to see John Rahm at eleven thousand two hundred dollars, uh, Justin Thomas ten thousand nine hundred, Hideki Matsuyama ten thousand six hundred. Dustin Johnson, 10,300. Xander Shoffley, 10,100. And Daniel Berger, 10,000. Um, have you got to play John Rahm again this week? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question, and it's always the most important one. Um, last week, I, I played him, and it didn't turn out, you know, it didn't turn out the best, but, you know, not the worst either. He, he racked up some points, but obviously didn't pay off his playment in terms of actually winning. But a single yeah. entry, he was fine. Um, something looked a bit off off him. Uh, to me about him last week he just didn't seem completely himself I know he was but he was looking out a lot of putts he you know very good chance he contends this week is uh I personally don't think he's going to win obviously he can but um I think the Tory narrative is just so strong this week I I'm more likely to fade him this week than I would be last week and going forward I, I kind of think there it might be a nice little spot to fade him this week just because of winning winning after Tory after the U.S. Open last year I think it's a good spot to kind of go away from him yeah, and I think it's interesting because, um, you know, someone told me that they would they wouldn't back Rahm at 
you know, single digit uh, at the moment. And I, I kind of said, if I was going to do it anywhere, it'd be Tory, right? If I was ever going to back a short price favourite, it would probably be John Rahm at Tory. And when you look at it, he was first in his debut, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, 29th on his second showing, where he was second after 36. Uh, he was the first round leader the year after, and then finished fifth. Second again after that, and seventh the, uh, last year before winning the US Open. So basically every Sunday or Saturday he you know has a chance of winning which is why he's so popular so I think you have to draw a line in, in fantasy and and I think with DraftKings this week the, the pricing I, I tried to do it where I started with him and just saw what I could do and, and I really struggled right there, there's a lot of guys that I think you need to look at in the 8k 9k range that you just really can't get in if you start with him and it starts to get a little bit dicey so I can understand the need to fade him. I'm a little bit concerned to do that, but you know it is something you need to make a decision on. Yeah, if you look at you know last week, I was very comfortable starting with him, and I actually played three or four Rom Cantley lineups, and then just jammed in some 6K guys. And there was a lot of 6K guys you felt very comfortable with, and I felt like you know a long shot's going to win. Um, so you get a little bit of win equity there by playing you know stars and scrub approach. But the difference is. I don't think a long shot's winning this week. I don't think no. a guy over 100, 100 to one is winning. It's usually a guy with a name you recognize. It's usually a guy, you know, within 60 to one or whatever it is. So, I'm that's going to lead me probably to be a, a bit more balanced this week. What do you do with Justin Thomas this week? In the sense that he finished tenth on his debut here in 2014, missed the cut the following year, and then never returned. So he was 19th in the U.S. Open last year, but never plays this event. Um, I'm guessing a lot of that is to do with his kind of love-hate relationship with Poana. Um, I just generally don't think that he... It seems really weird because it seems like the perfect test for him, right? You know, the ball striking should come to the fore. Um, I, I guess it's just maybe just a bit of a scheduling issue. Maybe just doesn't like the greens, doesn't like how the two courses play out. What Now he's here, do you, do you think you play him on the basis of the current form he's on? No, no, no. I'm... Uh... I'm not playing Justin Thomas. I, you know, the good thing you will get is probably very decreased ownership, but I, there were just so many other places I'd rather go this week. And um, I, I just don't, I don't love him on the West coast. I don't think he's really ever done too much on the West coast in this California, these California type tracks, unless I'm missing something. Um, but yeah, I know he's in the mix at Riviera once, but I just think for JT, it's, even though he finished fifth at the at the Century Tournament Champions, I just there's something still off with him, and I I've been waiting waiting and see, trying to see when that's going to turn. And I think it's the putter, it's the short game, it's the stuff that, you know, even before when he wasn't putting well, he was always the best around the green. I think even that has taken a little bit of a dip. And then if you look at what he struggles with, um, he can get a little bit loose off the tee. That's not a great recipe here. Uh, we saw Leishman do it in 2019, but he was about 30 yards right of the fairway, so he was getting yeah. mad down live from the spectators. But I don't want to take a guy who's not accurate. Um, JT's going to be a fade for me this week. I tend to agree, right? I mean, you talk about that, that Riviera. He was second, wasn't he? He shot, I think it was a fine around 75 uh, behind JB Holmes. Um, it's a rainy day, right? Yeah, and that's just tough, yeah. right? And that, that, I wonder if that plays into a lot of it. Like, he's had... He's had a sort of up and down relationship with with Riviera. It's probably the same with this golf course. I think he just can't seem to find a consistency there, so doesn't tend to bother. Right? I love Hideki Matsuyama this week, and I think that we liked him at Sony for the same reasons I'm going to like him here. But 
this is a guy that's won three times in nine months, including a major championship. Probably could have been four. He he lost that playoff at the, the St. Jude Invitational. And I don't think that's been respected enough. I know his cause form has been kind of patchy here, um, but not nothing worrying, right? He, he's missed two cuts in, I think it's eight starts. And he's had a 12th, a 3rd, and a 16th in that time as well. So whereas we saw a couple of newer starts at the Sony kind of gave us hope, like this time he's, he's kind of all along always had decent showings it's just been a mixed bag and and i think that the the 10 6 price range is fine for me i love the course fit i this is a place where i typically bet hideki at um you know, the third in 29 in 2019 uh 12th in 2018 you know, not not the best since but this is a place where i could i would typically think he might win you know i wasn't expecting him to win when he did because he usually plays better and Again, long classical. Look at us, uh, the correlations, and he plays these, you know, the long classical courses very well, um, and he usually plays strong field events pretty well. Prior to the the win a couple weeks ago, most of his or all of his wins were in stronger field events. Um, I I love the course fit. I'm probably not gonna be playing him. He's coming off of a win. I don't know. It's it's just tough for me to to back him coming off of a win, but I love the spot because one, I like the course fit. He's playing great, and he's going to be under-owned. I mean, how many times, like you said, can you get a guy who's won a major in the past year and a couple other times in uh, a couple of other wins? And, you know, I'm guessing he's going to be 11 12% ownership. Yeah, I mean, I looked into his record after winning. So I remember it being decent, and then I, I kind of got a really pleasant surprise. So the week after he won the WGC Bridge Show in 2017, he finished fifth at the PGA Championship. And then in 2016, he'd won the WGC Champions. And the two subsequent swaps, he, he won both of them. One of them was on the Japan Tour, uh, and one of them was a Hero World Challenge. So pretty, you know, mundane events, right? But that run in 2016, he went fifth, first, second, first, first, first. So he can really just keep the foot down when he's in form. Um, I think he was quoted saying it was a relief, really, to win the Masters. And, and that kind of sums up everything, like... It wasn't so much excitement. It was like these Japanese uh, athletes just get so much pressure on them to, to succeed, and not in a like a a negative way. Like they're, they're not how, but they're just their fans are so fanatical. Their media are so you know overwhelming. I remember going to the Open Championship over here and just seeing so much Japanese media, and it's, it's only increasing because we've got Takumi Kanaya and Nakajima as well um, in the fields in the PJ Tour now. So. For me, I just think that he was just relieved. Like he said, he was relieved to win that major. And I think it's just freed him up. And you can kind of see that, like, the form, once the dust settled uh, after the Masters victory, you know, fourth at the Olympics, which was a lot of pressure on him that week, second at the WGC, sixth at the Fortinet, first at the Zozo in his home country, uh, and then first at the Sony as well. So to me, I just, I love everything about Hideki Matsuyama. I think anytime he's 20 to 1 plus at the moment, I'm betting him, which I have, and, and I'm starting my lineups with him as well. Wow, you uh, you might have just talked me in, into him. That was <laughs> that's very convincing argument, and I like what you said about the fact that he's freed up now because he's playing much better, um, consistently, right? Because you would have those huge spike weeks, and then he wouldn't play that well. And I think you're right; he's freed up. He, he's much more comfortable now that he has that major and that monkey off his back, and he's playing well every single week. And I like the course room in general. So, discount ownership, you're right. He has he has everything going for him this week. Yeah, that's where I like to start it. What do you do with Dustin Johnson? Because I am very bullish on Dustin Johnson long-term in 2022. 
Um, there's going to be some good spots coming up for him in the next few weeks. I don't like him here, and I don't think that's a, you know that's a hot take, right? I think he's been he's played there enough times. I think he finished third in 2011, but otherwise he's been pretty terrible. He had one finish uh, better than two finishes inside the top 20 but really for him it's just been absolutely poor and two missed cuts three finishes 43rd or worse 19th for the US Open last year I, I, there's just enough for me to suggest that Dustin Johnson doesn't really want to you know won't be likely be in contention this week I agree there I think I looked at him at first and the numbers seemed pretty good the price seemed pretty good and I was starting to think about it but um, you know, following him on Instagram, he's been in Aspen for two weeks. First week was just him and Paulina, and the week after was the kids. And I don't think he's really focused too much on golf. I think this is his just getting back into it, getting his feet wet, getting some tournament golf. And I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they have to play each event once every five years, and this is his fifth year. Um, so I that believe he's, play, he's playing it because he has to. He, has, he didn't play it 2018, 19, 20, or 21. So I think he's obligated to play it this year and he just got off vacation i think he's just trying to get his feet wet and get back into tournament golf and i think also there's some obligations if you want to go and play the saudi event that you that you start adding these tournaments back onto your schedule as well and and besides all that and i guess they're a little bit more narrative based but a lot of what he's been doing recently has been you know with putter like his ball striking hasn't been as good as it normally has um you know the, and just on the tough course for him i, I just wanted to go elsewhere um <laughs> Xander Schauffele at Torrey Pines has been a love-hate relationship for the, the entirety of his career. Uh, I think it was the first four cuts that he missed at this golf course when everyone expects him to go so well as a, as a local person. Uh, what do you do with Xander Schauffele at this price? Because it feels like it feels too expensive for me, although I think that's kind of the point. I think they want you to try and do that. Yeah, I'm... Um... You know he's my gooch of the of the high end range. I'm usually off uh, off Xander. I don't play him much. I don't bet him much. I think he's always overvalued, overpriced for what he actually has accomplished in his career, which is you know not not all that much, depending on how you view the the uh, Olympics there. But he, um, you know, I he missed four of his first five cuts here. Um, like you said, he, the course history isn't great. I think there's a lot of pressure. I mean, he's in his, it's kind of his backyard. This is almost his home course. And every time he's played here, he's kind of succumbed to that pressure. Uh, the second 20 in 2021, obviously very impressive, but I mean, that seems to be more the outlier than the norm. He's, you know, he's 25th in a second. Um, and the rest of them, he's missed the cut seventh of the U S open, but I don't think we can draw too much into that for this event because there really was very little correlation, um, outside of Rom. But, yeah, for me, for me, he's a fade, and I think he's going to be somewhat popular, and I think there's other guys I'd rather play, including probably the next guy we're going to talk about. Was it, was it last year? Was it when he, when he was second that there was no spectators a year before that he missed a cut? Because I remember thinking that this would be the time to back him because he won't have that pressure to spectators, and I can't remember if they were there when he was second or not. I think, I think that was 2020 he missed the cut, and then he, right. went, and then he was yeah. second last year. Yeah. So, it, yeah. But it, second last year, he was about five shots behind reed remember he was kind of he kind of yeah, ran away never there really i mean and even even for the first two days right he shot 70 72 and he was 40th after two days so he, he never really felt like he was in it until the the, the last minute and to be honest if hovland had done what you know you'd expect him to do these days um he wouldn't even have been second so yeah i'm happy to, to look elsewhere for xander shuffle so daniel berger um 
there seems to be a little bit of love for Daniel Berger this week, and and I get it. Like he's the one of the best iron players in the world, if not the best at the moment. Um, the only slight concern, I suppose, is, is the course fit and whether it suits. Yeah, I don't like I don't like the course fit here. I mean, if you're talking Pebble, that's good, but most of his success in his career i'm not saying every single time but you know he's good at the u.s open but most of the success in his career has have come at short courses the courses in texas he plays well are short uh pebble is short st jude is short he i think when he tries to keep up with these longer hitters and these longer courses you know all all, all four of the five par fives here are between 550 and 600 yards you have the um 450 to 500 yard par fours i just think it's a little bit long for him and it's not the ideal course fit. He's missed the cut four of his five starts uh, since 2013 here. Um, so I, I don't think it's, a, it's the best course fit for him. He's good at the U.S. Open, but I, again, I think it's going to be a different setup where the rough is, was more penal there. Um, so his, him, his ability to keep it in play was more important. But uh, I can see him playing well because he's, he's very good. He's gotten better, and you know I, I have no questions about him as a player anymore, but just not this week for me. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of that. And I think that as well, that US Open, uh, I can't exactly remember it, but I think that the fairways must have been rolling a bit better, you know, with the summer versus January. And mm-hmm, I just think, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the length is kind of, the length superiority is kind of negated there. Uh, but swinging straight into a conversation about length, Bryson DeChambeau, this is going to be the first time we've seen the new Bryson DeChambeau at, uh, at this event. You know, we saw him at the US Open last year where he was uh, third after 54 holes was I think it was I think he was right in contention wasn't he um, yeah. before he blew up um, I think he was only one or two behind it. he was fourth after 54 holes and then shot the final round 77 uh, to finish 26th are you playing Bryson um, not only am I playing him he's my bet to win my uh, my first click of the week uh, bet him to win at 22 to 1 uh, and I think he has a really good shot this week. And he, he was he was right there at the U.S. Open. Uh, he was also, I think, in the eighth hole. He he stuck a shot, and he was in a great spot. And he was then then he was the betting favorite um, going into the back nine. So he was right there. And I know before that his history wasn't the best. Um, he obviously missed the cut in his other two starts there, 2017, 2018. But like you said, he was kind of a different player at that time, um, more of a shorter hitter. But now. You know, I think this it fits him perfectly. Um, and then you get to this price. I think it's just a great price concerning the win equity. If he's on that week, he's the best player in the field. Nobody can beat him, really. You know, you know, argue Rom or whatever. But when he's on, he's very difficult to beat. Uh, West Coast, I've always thought at some point in his career, he would master the West Coast. He's a California kid. He puts extremely well on POA. Four of his wins are on, are on POA. Um, and I just think even though he doesn't have the Tory success, he has some good finishes. We talked about Riviera. He was fifth in 2020, 15th in 2019. He was fourth at that PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park. And then, he, and again, he was involved in last year at the U.S. Open. So, And I think his ability to putt uh, on the West Coast is better than it, than it has been recently. And I hopefully last week was an anomaly with how he hit it off the tee and he figures it out this week. But I think... 20 plus is auto bet territory for Bryson and auto plug and play. Yeah, so for me, I agree with a lot of that. If it wasn't for the fact that I was so keen on Hideki Matsuyama, I'd have just started my car with Bryson because I just think I just think that everyone, especially at Torrey Pines, where the narrative is you have to have great course experience or course form, 
the two miscuts are going to put people off and and people will discount the US Open as we have sort of alluded to doing. Um, so everyone will go, oh, he missed two cuts here back in 2017, 2018, hasn't played it, so doesn't like it. I think it, you know, it might be the same with DJ that he has to play it because he, you know, he's playing it because he has to. I also think he wants to see what he can do here now that he's in the shape that he's in. Right, I think he's ready to unleash off the tee. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a boom or bust, right, with Bryson. I think, um, I think that he could very easily just miss the cut after a couple of disappointing days. But he's also the guy that you could expect to, to torch the North Course with a 63, 64, and and give himself a chance to go level par around south course and, and be in good position. Yeah, totally. And I think if you look at the other guys, kind of 9,900 and above, and I know I'm, I'm cheating there by starting at 9,900, but I, <laughs> I think I think he will probably be the lowest owned besides DJ, if I had to guess. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, I think that Daniel Berg is going to take some ownership because people just think he's going to reverse his fortunes with the ball striking. Um, John Rahm is going to take a serious amount of that, and, and Xander will too. I think... I think Xander's in that kind of trap price where because it's 10,000, they want you to sort of play out to do it. Because he's the lower end of that, people are thinking, oh, they've got a, an $800 discount on on Dustin, uh, on Justin Thomas. Oh, I'll take it. Like a $500 discount on Hideki, I'll take it. And to me, I, I find that easy to avoid. Cupid may work hard in February, but our friends at Manscaped are working harder than ever to ensure that your Valentine's Day is one to remember. Don't turn this day of romance into Independence Day this year and get in control with their Performance Package 4.0, which includes a signature lawnmower. This February, join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code LFW20. That is LFW20 on the Lost for Words podcast. Contrary to popular belief, love is not blind when you can't see past the love jungle. Folks, we know how important it is to have clean, fresh golf balls, but it's also your balls that we must prioritise on Valentine's Day. And the Performance Package 4.0 will leave you with more dating app notifications than Cupid has arrows. This lovely bundle comes equipped with the best tools needed when freshening up for a night on the town and a date night with your young lady. So once again, that is code LFW20 for 20% off and free worldwide shipping on manscaped.com. Fellas, look after your balls both on and off the golf course in February. Going into the 9k range, and we'll kind of get through these a little bit quicker than we have done, but I have two guys that I really like in this range, maybe three, um, and then the rest I'm just going to ignore. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the on the 9k range. For me, it's going to be Bryson. Um, I know Zalatoris, I really liked coming into the week, but his popularity is going to get me off of him um i i thought this was going to be a great spot for him and i was almost saying for the i'm not and i'm not the biggest willie z guy either but for the past few months i'm saying there's a couple spots i like him at this is going to be one of them but it's the perfect storm of uh popularity here that i'm going to have to avoid unfortunately yeah i think i think with him i put him as an outright and i put him before the odds came out and he opened with a 40 and very quickly just got uh you know bet down to 35 31 which once it starts getting lower, I'm, I'm not too interested. Um, but like you say, just a perfect storm. He's, he's shown the current form last week at the Amex, um, showed the, the core form of seventh here last year, and his game is is tailored to this, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think I think it's a good play. It's just that you're probably going to have to find an ownership pivot here. Um, what what do we expect to happen with Scotty Scheffler in this range? Like it feels like a bit of a weird price for him in this field. Um, but I actually quite like his chances of reversing his fortunes here. 
Uh, I think he's going to be pretty low owned, to be honest. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, he hasn't shown me much lately. I just don't, I don't trust him right now. I don't, I don't love the, I know the course probably makes sense with his long and straight, but I mean, I, I haven't seen it from him. He's, he's lost a little bit off the tee, was been pretty neutral off the tee, you know, since the season began. And I just, uh, I don't, I don't think the price justifies his, his play, but I think you're, you're right. You'll probably get an ownership discount on him. I think he's kind of might go under the radar because he's kind of burned some people the last few weeks. That's what I'm kind of hoping for, right? Because in the two starts in this event, he's missed the cup both times. But when you look at uh, 2021, he opened up with a 65 on the uh, on the north course and just happens to have a, an absolutely horrendous day with a 79 uh, at the south course. So we know he can go deep on the north course, which is a prerequisite to winning here. Um, play well at the US Open to suggest that he can play the south course on any other given day. I know I don't want to get too caught up in that because of what I said uh, discounting it. But I just think as well, like, and this is a little bit kind of bonus material rather than anything I'd want to put too much substance into, but Ted Scott's now on his bag, right? And I think that that kind of helps a lot. Like, he, you know, he's, he's taken Bubba to major championships, many PGA Tour wins, including here at Torrey Pines in 2011. And just having that kind of experience on the bag and a bad week for him last week, he was finishing 25th. Like, I know that a 25th is not going to pay off his ownership, but I generally do think that he can just up it from what he did last week and just suddenly play well. I think that, like Fee now, I think that both of them are coming back to a course where their their general good tee play and, and prowess actually comes to the fore, whereas I think it's been negated uh, in recent starts because everyone's just gone point and shoot. So I think the tougher it gets, the better his chances get. A bit like Hideki, I suppose, in, in what you said about him earlier. I think it just suits him. So I fully expect him to, to make good on his missed cuts here. Um, it's just whether the upside's there for, for the 9K, 9.5K price tag. Yeah, it makes plenty of sense. And a lot of the things you said are the reason why I'm going to just play Fino instead. Um, he's going to be very popular, possibly probably the top three or four in ownership on the slate. So... I get that, um, but you know we, we're talking about how important course history is here, and he just is great in the West Coast swing. He just this is when he dominates. I was talking earlier about when he gets to Florida, you kind of just ignore him and 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 give him a break for a couple months. But this is his time of year. This is his jam. He's gonna contend. He's gonna get. I think he's, you know, as close as it gets to a top ten. Um, this place is, you know, last five times he's played it. Uh, fourth, sixth, thirteenth, sixth, second. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. just amazing. This, this, this is his spot. This is his spot. So I, I'm going to eat the ownership because I'm going to start with probably Bryson, and then I'll go. I'll be different elsewhere. And um, I'm, I got to think you got to play Fino, and I'm, I'm probably going to bet him too. Yeah, I mean, look on my uh, on on the Torzix website that I use, uh, his adjusted score here. So his actual score is 70.63 over the, all the visits here, but his adjusted score is 68.38, which takes in the kind of um, you know strength of field and you know, everything like that. So he's just sat behind John Rahm there. Patrick Reed's in third. Um, yeah, I love him. I, th I think he's great. I think that you do just have to take ownership at some point and just and just run with it. Like, it is what it is. Like, it's a perfect spot for him. I think that maybe the, the, the 40th place finish last week might just keep another people off, but I guess that might just be wishful thinking, um, given the course history. I just wonder if maybe that and the tied 19th at the uh, the tournament championship, which uh, were pretty middling finishes, just maybe keep people off a bit. 
And you get Will Zalatoris at $100 more, who's going to be yeah. very, very popular. And Leash, and Leash, and Leash oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and I think people, you know, you mentioned fading Taylor Gooch. I think Taylor Gooch is getting to a price where people are going to be looking at him. So all of a sudden, I think people might galaxy brain it a bit and go, oh, you know, I'll pay up for Zalatoris or I'll, you know, pay down for Leash or Gooch and I can avoid him altogether. And all of a sudden, only a few, you know, only takes a few people to do that before the ownership doesn't matter too much. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where Finau goes. Um, a word on Taylor Gooch then, as we just mentioned him. He was third here back in... I'm trying to think what the year was now. Uh, I remember it happening. I don't remember what year it was. 2019. Um, I think he was fifth after 54 holes, so he was right in contention uh, over the weekend. Are you still full fade on Taylor Gooch, or is the price coming down somewhere that you would go to? No, uh... What was it? Eighty nine hundred. Eighty nine hundred in yeah. this field isn't isn't down enough for me. No. Um, I just still I would still rather just pay for Finau or you know whoever else. Some guys below him I really like at a, at less of an ownership um, in the in the AK range. I'm just eh, I think this is just uh, still still part of the fade Gooch uh, story for me. Cool. Uh, Max Homer is going to be popular, I believe. Uh, good course history here. Um, California guy as well. Is that someone that you'd be looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, I I bet him last year when he won, and I said, West Coast, just play him. Just close your eyes and play him. Don't ask questions. Um, with that being said, he will be popular, and he will be talked up this week. And I just, I mean, how many times can he actually do it, right? You just throw him on one of these courses on the West Coast, and he contends <laughs> or wins. And I think maybe it's time to, re- he reverts back, and, you know, maybe a couple starts off and, and those type of things before he contends again. So, I'm not 100% sure on him. I'm kind of 50-50. It's t- you can't argue with the course results and uh, his ability to play well in this area. But for me, it seems like some regression might be due. Yeah, he's burned me a couple of times, so I'm going to be out on Max Homer because I, I just, like you say, I think eventually it catches up with you. And historically, although he's had the really good, impressive wins at Riviera and Wells Fargo, like the actual general week-to-week play has never been that consistent and I, I wouldn't want to rely on that on the golf course although he's had you know some good finishes here I can't you know you can't deny that um I do not want to just try and rely on them happening again so I was interested in Biz Wiedenhout but the reason the thing that bothers me is I think he could be really solid at the south course and I think he could be the guy that over the over the Friday and Saturday just really shot some really steady scores around the south course and just works his way out leaderboard that way, but I don't trust him to go deep enough at the north course, and that is what kind of puts me off him a little bit this week. Yeah, I could see myself playing him. I think he's definitely a solid play, and I always like this course fit for him. I've, I've compared him to kind of Justin Rose type game in the past, who obviously has good good history here. Yeah. Um, and he looks like he's coming in, again, very early, but it looks like he's going to be very low-owned because everyone likes McNeely right next to him and Homa right above him. Um, I'm probably going to have a little bit of exposure to to Cebes. I think at that price, if he comes in tenth place, that would be nice, or you know, eighth or ninth. I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where if he can just shoot a 66 round the north, like you're so excited about his week, like that would be the the real true test for me. If he gets out there on Wednesday, gets an early tee time, because I think if you look at the tee, the tee times will be so pivotal. Like looking at the the first round leader market when that eventually comes out like so many people especially at the south course just start early 
and, and I think you just need to get out there, get the, the good greens, especially on power. That can go a bit funky in the afternoon. Um, so if you can get an early tee time, get out on the north, shoot a 66, even a 67, uh, and just kind of get those rounds where it looks like everyone else is really struggling in the south and, and he can uh, go out and cruise, and that would be interesting. Because as much as I don't trust him to go over and shoot low scores, he has done it in the past, and he shot a 66 to open last week as well. Um, I can't remember if that was under Kinter or not, but I assume it was. Um, so, yeah, I would be tempted by him. But the obvious one for me, you mentioned Matt McNeely, but I would just go to Ryan Palmer. And I know the ownership is probably going to be higher than we want it to be. But, you know, two seconds, a 13th for 21st in his, in his four starts uh, in this event. He missed a cut in the US Open, but it's a completely different test. He's just rock solid here. I mean, he missed a cut back in 2010, but I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah, the... the only problem for me with Palmer and both his betting odds and his draftings prices, it's it's his course history is very much baked into the price. Of course. Uh, yeah. If you look kind of what he's been doing recently, um, he was pretty good last week, but before that, I mean, you saw him in the high sixes, low sevens in these types of fields, uh, and now all of a sudden he goes to a place where he's, you know, been very. Sorry, I don't mean last week he was good at Sony, but um you know, a place where he has all the course history and you're paying a serious premium for him. Uh, does that mean he's not going to play well? No, of course not. He could still play well, but I'm probably going to be off because I think I'm just, I'm being taxed too much on the course history and, uh, you know, not, not enough on what he's actually been doing on the golf course lately. Is that price enough to keep the ownership down there and actually make it a more sharper play than, than you would, because he's gone 27th, 26th, 12th, his last three starts, which suggests to me that he's you know he's he's really in quite decent form if nothing else and you'd expect him to play well where he has in the past yeah i think early indications are no he's probably gonna be pretty popular yeah um but yeah i, I he's safe he's definitely a, a high ceiling a high floor play i think so that makes a lot of sense especially depending on how you construct if you, you know you, you take some risk elsewhere and you want a guy you, you know is going to kind of going to finish top 20 i think it's a great spot but you know a guy we kind of glossed over here that i'm going to be playing uh, in the in the ak range is matthew wolf you know? <laughs> uh, the reason the reason we glossed over him is because i was just putting a lineup together and he came out obviously of the price range i was scrolling through um i'll let you start with matthew wolf and i'll add to it so i i bet him out right as well uh, i got a 66 to 1 which i thought was fantastic yeah. um is you know is is he going to blow up potentially uh, last week? He, but I, I like the fact that he burned a lot of people last week. He was very popular and more expensive last week and they didn't price him down all that much. They kept him at 8,500 in this field, which I think, you know, is a little too pricey for people and early returns show that it is too pricey and they're going to go away from him. A lot of people played him last week. He's one of the most popular guys on the, on the board. And, you know, but it turns out he's a, a guy who does, doesn't necessarily need form right he you know recently we saw the u.s open it was his first start in four months and he was the i think he was a 36 hole leader he was involved very early um his his win in 2019 missed the cut at the rocket rocket mortgage classic went on to win the following week at the 3m 2020 missed the cut of the travelers and then he finishes second to bryson at the rocket mortgage um so i think the win equity you get the the ability to bounce back um the fact that no not many people are going to be on him the fact maybe you can pair him up with Bryson for a little a little leaderboard correlation that we've seen with those two guys, uh, I'm going to be going to him. Yep, for all those reasons and the fact that, like you say, he he just doesn't need 
to be in good form, right? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I kind of allude to the fact that he was really in contention for that US Open, and he hadn't played since the Masters before that, since to get disqualified the Masters, had his break due to the you know the mental health issues off the course. A healthy, happy Matthew Wolf can win anywhere, but mm-hmm. the golf courses do matter. And he was 21st here on, on debut in, in 2020. I'm trying to remember the splits of how he shot. But I think he shot 66 on the north course the day after shooting a 76 on the south course. Obviously then since played the USA and played very, very well. And, you know, it, like you say, it's just it's exactly the same skill set is how you think Bryson's going to do it. And if you think Bryson can do it, Matthew Wolf can do it as well. Um, so I do think that's a smart way to play it. I'd love to find a way to try and get um, Hideki, Bryson and Wolf in there, but that is just asking for too much. You uh, you suddenly start to get, you know, you have to go really skinny. You have 7K left after that. And as we're going to find out as we go down the board, that is a little bit of a risky play. Um, but yeah, absolutely love Matthew Wolf. I've bet him outright as well. The 7K range now, we'll, we'll go with just players that we do like rather than ticking off people now. I really like, well, I say really like, I like Mackenzie Hughes. And the reason I like Mackenzie Hughes is I don't think people are going to want to play him because I think people are going to think it's too long for him. And it probably is for him to actually win. But I think he can give us a solid uh, return on his price. He was 29th here, uh, three starts ago on this course, 54th on his debut and he's just playing really good golf and he was 50 he was 15th in that us open i know as we've said that was a slightly different you know event it was probably a bit more baked out in the fairways that lends itself to uh to the shorter guys being able to contend but this is a guy who's had two uh, top four finishes last three starts um and a 29th for the houston open in between that as well so i just thought mackenzie hughes was an interesting play thinking along the lines that no one else is going to be on him yeah, I mean, that makes sense because I'm not going to be on him, so I'm sure a lot of people are thinking <laughs> like me. Um, then it's a, it's definitely will be contrarian. Um, you know, he's a, he's a great putter, but Poa historically has been his, his worst surface. Um, yeah. I think of him, um, you know, mostly in the Ben Bermuda, and I'm not – he missed the cut here last year, right? Um, yeah, it's not going to be somewhere I'm going and because not much is pointing to him. And like you said, sometimes when that's the case, and that's the best time to play somebody, and it's, you just hold your nose and click the button. But for me, there's some other guys around that I'd rather go to. It just it just felt like the current form and the US Open gave a little bit of credit. It's just the fact that he performs when you don't expect him to perform. And it, you always hear some kind of joke of strokes game magic beans, right? And I just think if you look at kind of like the Patrick Reed, Brant Seneca mold, like he is that. And whereas with Snedeker, you've kind of historically seen the California putting services suiting him well. You haven't seen that as much with Mackenzie Hughes, but I talked about those courses earlier. He was third at the Travelers in 2020, uh, eighth at the Canadian Open in 2018 at Glen Abbey, and he was 10th at Pebble Beach in 2017. So to me, yes, they were all kind of shorter courses that suited him. And he don't get me wrong, he would have to play pretty immaculately tee to green. Uh, to even stand a chance of contending. So I do think it's hard, but I just see him in that kind of mould of like a Zach Johnson, not quite got the same upside, obviously, but just just appears to, to do it when you least expect it. And you'll come to Sunday going, like, I have no idea how Mackenzie Hughes is still doing this. He's just getting up and down from everywhere. Um, so it's is, it is more just a, 
a contrary long shot because there's a guy at 7700 in Lanto Griffin that I imagine is going to be very popular. Yeah, I think he is. Uh, and there there are some guys around him. I like this 7K range. There are four guys in this range that I'm going to be playing. Yeah. Um, and, and one of them starting with probably Justin Rose. I know. Um, I know. Yeah, it, I've been tipping him a lot and picking him a lot. And it's, it, it gets old. And I get the now I'm getting the eye rolls. Oh, Rose again, Rose again. <laughs> but nothing he's done has turned me away from him. It's just been he's been all right. And what the guy you bet is not going to win every week. And um, last week I thought he was pretty good. He was, I thought his irons were good. He was in a good spot. He had a tough day when the wind picked up um, on Saturday. So, but other than that, I thought he was fine. And I th- he has great course history, obviously he has one here. Um, but I don't think 33rd last week is anything that's going to turn me off him at 7,900. I'm probably going to go right back to him. Oh, is that, it was the second round, sorry, it was 73, was yeah, it yeah, for him? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that was really the difference between him finishing inside the top fifteen. That's you know if Justin Rose had you know because shooting seventy instead of seventy three, I, I always try and it sounds ridiculous because it's like ifs and buts and you can't just go back and change results. But you take three shots off of Justin Rose's score in round two on a, a pretty easy setup where seventy is a fairly achievable score if not disappointing, and that puts him into fourteenth place and. You know, Branson could finish 14th last week, and people have probably been clamoring to play him, um, and, and possibly not Justin Rose. And like you said, he just hasn't done. I think we both liked him last week at the Amex, just for this reason that he is historically very good on this golf course. Um, you know, he, he's won here in the past. It was a bit of a funky year when he won; like it was really low scoring. I think it was 21 under, which has only ever been beaten by Tiger at 22 under. But the two years prior to that, he was eighth and fourth as well, and he's had a kind of love-hate relationship with this track whereas that might keep people off as does the fact that people think he possibly is done yeah people do people do think that he's done for sure because i'm getting comments all the time whenever i whenever i'm picking <laughs> him but he um like yeah the, and it's crazy it's crazy but i i feel like i trust him to shoot 68 at tory pines as as much as i do at pj west which is is crazy but for him he's kind of an, an <laughs> enigma in that way yeah, and I like uh, the score. I know he scored low when he won, but I like the I like the low low to mid teens for him. Yeah, who else do you like in this range, especially? Uh, I I thought he was gonna be popular. As of now, it doesn't look that bad. But Molinari, I mean, I don't know how you can go away from him, considering what he did last year at in during the swing and what he's started with this year in the swing. I mean, since since that back nine in Augusta when Tiger stole his soul for millions to see, right? <laughs> He has four top tens on the PGA Tour. All four of them are in California, um, plus the 13th at the U.S. Open last year at Torrey Pines. So that stretch uh, last year, Amex, starting at Amex, ending at Genesis, he had three top tens. It was eighth, uh, 10th, eighth, and then last week finished sixth. So there's no reason to think the same trajectory isn't happening. And it, and it wasn't really smoke and mirrors last week. He gained 4.7 strokes from tee to green. Um, and only two measured rounds at the stadium course. So, and he shot five under all four rounds. So you, you'd think he's probably around 9.4 strokes from tee to green. Um, so I think this price is a small price to pay for what you could potentially get. Yeah, he had that. He had that 68. Sorry on uh, on Sunday, but it it's one of those things where he's moved out to California. Didn't he? he made a big move over to there uh, during the pandemic. He was 14th here. So five starts ago now, four starts ago, um, and he was that tenth last year where he shot a 66 in the final round, which obviously came on the south course. Um, 
I haven't checked where his 68 came uh, when he was 45th here in 2018. If that came on the north course, then that would that would really give me a bit of confidence because it shows that he's adaptable to scoring on both. Um, because otherwise, I'd kind of pigeonhole him into that kind of he can score on the south and look good, but not go deep enough on the north. So there is a, there is a slight concern with that, but otherwise, I do really like him. There's there's a guy here that. I mean, Luke List, I think, is going to be popular. I don't think we need to need to uh, go over too much. Tees Green going brilliant. Um, you know, Luke List is what Luke List is. I think his power uh, putting is actually above his uh, normal baseline. Uh, open and closed with 66s last year. Uh, and generally can score well here. So unless you've got anything to add on Luke List, I think we can move on. Yep. Um, Keith Mitchell has horrible course history here um, but every time I look at the stats like just from tee to green uh, you know just hitting the ball current form I just thought he was an interesting play he should play well here like drives the ball like long you know and and he can get hot with a putter it's just whether he can do it on the power surfaces and the bent grass on the north uh, I only play him in Bermuda hard and fast rule of life is, is it is he going to have a couple of good events on on other services yeah probably but more often than not it's gonna you're gonna be better off by not playing him and you know I'll, I'll wait till florida to play him in a place where you know he's comfortable there's just been so little of his track record on these types of courses so i'm i'll, I'll probably be fading him yeah and that's the thing as well is that it actually helps us in terms of betting because so he was 90 to 1 at the Sony when I really liked him, and he and he paid well for us there, and he was top five. And then, um, you know, he, he comes to this event in great form, probably going to burn a few people uh, that are going to bet him out right because of the current form. Um, and then he's going to go back out to a price that's back again uh, in Florida, where he, he should, you know, ultimately improve. And I think there's enough history uh, there, like you say, to, to go there. So I did eventually jump off of him, but he was someone that did pique my interest as. If you really wanted to go against the grain, he was probably one of them. Um, I don't know what to do with Aaron Wise, Matt. I have no idea what to do. He's going to be very popular. Um, yeah. Because everyone's been just waiting to bet him and waiting to yeah. play him. They're waiting for thing. him. He's pretty bad on POA. Um, bad here as well. And bad here. Uh, yeah, that's a no from me. I mean, uh, pe- people get kind of infatuated with him because of his skill set and he's definitely been improving and but i i just see him on these kind of coastal courses and um it's i'm, I'm not going to play aaron wise on, on, in the california swing it just doesn't make sense to me there's just too many guys around here as well like tom hoagie jason day uh, alex noran you know jonathan vegas 7400 there's so many guys that i think are just gonna give you different things that you can do um who are the other guys that you like in 7k I'm I'm gonna play Jason Day. Uh, yep. A little bit risky, obviously, but I liked what I saw from him most of the time last week. Uh, he was featured on the ESPN Plus coverage a lot. Uh, I thought he was really good. Obviously, loves this course. I mean, you don't get much better course history than you have with with Jason Day. Um, sixth, I'm sorry, ninth, second, first, miscut, miscut, first, fifth, two wins, uh, five top tens in his past eight starts here, whatever it is. So. Is, if there's a place he's going to find a little bit of resurgence, uh, it, it should be here. And I think this price you're paying again, it's almost like the Molinari thing to where if he, he spikes, you're going to get a top 10 on a guy who is in the mid sevens. And I call me crazy. I wouldn't be shocked if he could win this event. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Like, I think, <laughs> I think it's exactly the same as Justin Rose, right? Yeah. Former yep. world number ones, major champions, um, similar amount of wins. I'd have to check that, but I, it feels like they've got a similar amount of PGA Tour victories. Maybe Jason Day nudged ahead in the end. Um, but just just similar skill sets, both long and straight drivers of the ball at their peak, uh, both flashy with a putter. But like you say, that and you know both winners here, which is that's how I'm just going to check this win record. So Justin Rose had ten wins on the PGA Tour. Off the top of your head, you know how many wins Jason Day has? A little little trivia Twelve. question. Twelve. Twelve. So. Twelve PGA Tour wins. Correct. So yeah, they're fairly similar profiles, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think anything you apply to to Justin Rose, you've got to apply to Jason Day, right? I think I believe that both of them can come back and have a resurgence. Um, I've seen Adam Scott go to the depths of his game, uh, his putter, and then come back. I've seen you know, lesser people like Matt Kuchar come back and have a resurgence recently, as we've spoken about. So um, yeah, I, I think Jason Day is fine. I do think it's risky. Like there's there's definitely risk attached with both him and Justin Rose. But if you're going to play them, um, it would be. Uh, on Tory Pines for sure. Matt, what's your take on Wyndham Clark? He he has the skill set for me. I was just going to say, skill set is perfect. I mean, you want guys who drive it well and have a good short game, and that's pretty much who he is. Um, so, and you know, I, I don't know if you heard this on the broadcast, they were talking about how he kind of worked on what he does well instead of trying to fix up the iron play or whatever it may be. They're saying, okay, you drive it well, you putt it well, let's focus on these two things. Um, yeah. I think he, he'll probably be lower on because he's in that 7,200 range instead of the, um, you know, the, the, the high sixes. He's Poa is his best putting surface. Uh, I like Wyndham Clark. I think he's a guy that I would, I could see taking advantage of the South course, right? Like on, on when everyone else is finding it tough, I can't remember exactly uh, where his lowest rounds come, but 69-67 to start when 35th. Uh, on his debut, and he was 11th after 54 holes, had a bad final day, which is understandable then. He opened with a 69 the following year, but 79 backed it up, um, and then opened with a 67 the year after. So generally speaking, he can just he can just score those low rounds that, that you need to see, and I will you know, get rid of the, the US Open sample and go 35th, 32nd missed cut in his three starts here. Um, and I believe he played pretty well last week let me just double check that as well um but i'm pretty sure i had him was it last week that he played the american express yeah he was 13th yeah so he he was fine and for me like you're getting a guy at 7200 i think now when you get down to this range man i don't know if you agree i'm just looking for the skill set guys i'm not looking for current form i'm not looking for necessarily really strong course form. I just want to see people that flash, people that have had decent low rounds on the north course or, or tough rounds on the south course and people that I just believe that on their day they can streak together the, the results due to their skill set. Yeah, I think that's the way you have to do it. You kind of, kind of make a narrative in your head of how the thing's going to play out and pick guys who fit that and you know we talked about like the Bryson-Wolf correlation, right? Wyndham Clark kind of fits that as well. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you and then like we talked about, it's going to be tough to dip into that 6K range. So that low sevens, you know, might be the spot where you have to stop. Was Was there any other guys that you liked that you want to talk about in the 7K range? 
No, Seneca, like we talked about, would probably be popular. Um, yeah. I, I'm probably going to play him despite that. I don't think he's going to be as popular as some people may think because that 7,400 isn't isn't incredibly cheap for him. And then you got guys like Patrick Rogers at 7,100, who I think is going to be extremely popular. So I'll probably go back to Sneds. Um, I like what he does here. I liked. I thought what we saw of him last week was was you know encouraging, and I, I think he might have a, a decent year. I always want to be on Cameron Champ, especially in California, because we've just spoken about guys with with the skill set, and Cameron Champ is the one. Um, he is completely boom or bust uh, anywhere, let alone at Torrey Pines. Um, 16th in 2020. Was that enough to pique your interest at all? No, and you know the big difference for me of Champ and these other guys too, like Wolf and and. and bryson like he kind of tips you that it's coming a little bit um yeah you know i i was on him at the 3m 125 to one and he had 11th the week before at the john deere and he played pretty well his other win uh in napa um in 2019 he had a, i think a 25th at the sanderson farms the week before so he's not completely out of nowhere and i i don't know where his games are right now and i think the fact that he won so recently is that he's so boomer bust i think I, I have a very good spidey sense on Cam Champ, and my sense is saying no this week. <laughs> That's good because when you look at the when he finished 16th here in 2020, which is only a good start, he was 21st at the American Express and had played the tournament champions as well. So maybe it is the case that he you know he's only had two runouts either side of Christmas, and that was the Fortinet where he missed the cut and the American Express where he missed the cut. Um, so that could be enough. He's just a guy, like we said, with the skill sets. Um, mm-hmm. 6k range there is a couple um both kind of at the top that i really like first one's adam svensson um mm-hmm. i think he's gonna be popular because he's one of the guys at the moment right um has played well here in the past i think he played the mid 30s on his debut um but the other one right next to him is passing kazaya who i think is possibly going to be overlooked because adam svensson's there as well yeah, I, the first guy I saw was was Fence, and he has the skill set, and he kind of looks plays similarly to some guys who have had success around here. And he was really good last uh, last week up until you know Sunday. He didn't play that well, um, but Kazire, yeah, I can see it with him. Uh, I probably, I don't know if I'll get there or not, um, but I, I'm definitely probably going to play a little bit of Fence if I if I have to. And then the Kazire thing for me, I never thought of him as a as a west coast guy he but he played very well last week um and he's looking like he's going to come in at pretty low on despite playing excellent last week he gained over six strokes on approach in two rounds uh so you know it seems like a good play to me he was eighth on his debut here uh which is one is impressive anywhere but eighth on your debut at sorry pines as mm-hmm. a player of kizaya's i don't want to say ability but profile is is even more impressive so um let me just see the weeks there. He had a 67 opening round and it got progressively worse, like 73, 71, and a 76 on the final day. But considering he moved up with that 76 uh, to finish eighth, was that the Snedeker year? Just trying to think of it. Yeah, that was the Snedeker year, so that would have been the, the really tough weather. So maybe that had a factor in it. Um, but yeah, I think I think just you mentioned just the way he's striking the ball, like it's absolutely uh, on point, like. And that's all I need to see about a guy in the 6K range. Like, if someone's doing well, he's played well here in the past, um, struck the ball well nicely, dark sweep, then, uh, yeah, Kazaya was good enough for me. Yeah. Um, 
I, I hear you on that. He hasn't done much since that, but you, all you got to do is really see it once to know that he's capable of it. And then, he, you know, if it plays tough, who knows what it's going to be this week. But, yeah, that makes some sense. A guy um, that I was kind of looking at, I know, I mean, Adam Long, he <laughs> has some history in the area here. He hasn't been playing playing well. He missed the cut last week. He's missed two straight cuts. But, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, if his, if, the, if he hits a ceiling, he can he can kind of – get himself involved i know but again hasn't been playing well i, I get that um it's 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 slim pickings down here and it's, I, I don't love much no and that's why i'm a bit concerned with with what you do i mean you've got previous winners here in scott stallings down here at 6700 if, if you really wanted to go there mm. i don't think he's quite playing as well as he needs to be to actually contend um brandon hagee is 6100 and i'm pretty sure he, yep, he was the he had the best South Course score uh, in 2019. Went out at 9 a.m. As I mentioned, uh, that was the first tee time. So I do just I truly believe that anyone that goes out really early, I'm not saying whoever gets the eight o'clock tee time is going to play well, um, but he's played here five times and made the cut three times. So for me, that that was kind of enough to to suggest that 6100 was was interesting to say the least he's never he's never looked like winning he's he's never really going to contend in this event uh, which is why he's 6100 but if i really had to get down there if i really wanted to take some of the guys um then i would i'd actually trust him at 6100 than i would most of the people between 61 and say 65 he burned me bad last week um <laughs> i uh yeah i had a really great lineup and he kind of torpedoed it and um and like you said, he started well, but really no great finishes. You know, a guy who I went to last week who didn't burn me, who I probably going to go back to again, is JT Post. And I talked to him about it on the show last week, and yeah. he thought he was he played pretty well. Um, last year, he finished 18th here. And, uh, you know, so he can definitely play well. He was 25th last week. Um, I think it's he's having a decent start to the season, and I think it's a 64, 6,500, whatever he is, is a pretty good price for him. I think I can go right back to him. Yeah, and I just... The only thing I, I think about JT Poston is I kind of pigeonhole him in a different type of event, like Wyndham, RBC Heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sometimes a good thing, right? Like if people do just, you know, you would put Snedeker in that kind of bracket. You'd put Webb Simpson in that kind of bracket, and both of them have had decent results here. So um, it's it's actually kind of works in your favour if people do do exactly what I just did and and kind of rule them out for that reason because suddenly everyone wants to kind of jump off. So I like that. I like JT Poston. I think it's good to see him come back, you know, just from a, a fan point of view. It looks like he's uh, getting back onto, on the right tracks. Um, I don't really have much else in the 6K range. I think anyone now, I would just be naming names, and that's easy to do, but kind of reckless. Um, yep. So, totally I mean, agree. I... Joseph Bramley is going to be very popular. That's that's the easiest thing. I think I would probably just play Joseph Bramley based on how popular he's going to be, unless he isn't really going to be that popular, and then you might want to play him. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm good on Bramley, whether he's popular or not popular. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that does it, Matt. I think I think that's I think that's it. Yeah. I think that I think it's very clear that you need to kind of get your top guys right. I think it's very you know. This goes without saying, right? But what you do in the 10k range is is pivotal. But I think it's actually that 9k top 8k range that it's who's the second guy in. I think I think most guys at the top you can kind of make a case for. But if you want to start with with Bryson and, and Wolf, the upside on that is amazing. It's just whether you can 
that feels like a plug your nose and go with it type thing because it could be so volatile, but I also think it could win your lineups. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and that's probably what I'm going to be doing. So there it is. Um, who is your, let's, let's go by, by the Rangers then as we have done before. Favorite play in the 10K plus. 10K plus, let's go. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I think I'm starting at Bryce in 9900. I'm going to cheat and pick a guy at 9900. <laughs> okay, then let, let's go. We'll, we'll start you then from 89 up to 9700. Uh, Fino. Yeah, like that. Uh, and then we want to go from uh, 8,500 down to 7,500. I'm going with Wolf. Wolf, I like that. And then anyone that we can kind of rely on between 7,200 and everyone else. Yeah, I'm going to go Molly, 70, uh, at 7,600. I'm probably going to play a little row 79 and Jason Day at 75 as as crazy as it sounds that's it that's going on uh past history that's definitely leaning on that past former world number ones i like it matt this was fun this was a good uh good event to preview i think it's going to be a fun week i think that we're both kind of going a little bit off track with with going with bryson and wolf and that sounds ridiculous because i think other people will do it but i think also it's, it's a trust issue right i think people have been burned by Wolf. They're worried about Bryce and his course history, and, and both of them will just come out and, and finish one too. Yeah, totally agree. Let's have a great week. Let's do it, Matt. Great to speak to you, and uh, see you again next week. Bye.